From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 128 and as I'm saying that I'm, I've got Mike Gutterman uh, in my in my uh, in my memory um, when he uh, changed the uh, the uh, his introduction to the negative pos- podcast negative positives film photography podcast um, that he did with you Johnny um, a couple of weeks ago and that was a good show so um, oh. yeah, distracted <laughs> from the start there <laughs> did he change it I didn't I don't know I might have missed that yeah he did he did he goes um, I, I think he probably likes it from, from, from Louisville Kentucky from the you know, old Los oh. Angeles and so on so um, <laughs> he did that's right I didn't even pick up on that at first you're totally right yeah, that, that, I guess I, that's just gonna like sound normal to you how, how a podcast should start <laughs> yeah, yeah I didn't even notice it at all when I listened <laughs> yeah it was like sounded so normal I'm like oh I guess it's, uh, yeah it's how everybody does it <laughs> Well, we have yeah, completely messed up the allows here, but I'm just, just thinking, well, see, we see we're talking about negative positives. Um, uh, Perry, you're, you're next up, aren't you? Uh, yeah, in 12 hours? Yeah. So you Excellent. Getting... The marathon. Well, I mean, last year we invaded uh, Sunny 16, so yeah. this year we're, we're invading negative positives. Yeah, and there's, yeah. The, there's, there's more than a good chance that Mike might be heading our way one day as well. Sweet. Yeah, we can talk about all those working man's lenses. We, we, we can. We can and we will. He can justify Pentax you know, as a whole brand, I guess. Um, so, um, so guys, um, it's great to have you here again. Uh, Johnny, how's the, how's the weather in Chicago? Oh, it's hot as balls, man. It's, me and Robbie were just talking about this. He just got back from – I don't know. I don't want to get too personal, but he was, you know, he was on vacation somewhere no humidity and enjoying it like crazy. And then you get back to Chicago and it's like a freaking swamp because those assholes that live in like Louisiana and Texas are having like two hurricanes and they, and they, and they get hurricanes and then all of it blows up the Mississippi river Valley, you know, straight up to Chicago. And it's like, turns into like, it turns into like new Orleans up here. And it's like, Oh, it's disgusting. I hate this. So we both said, dude, we're just like ready for winter. <laughs> just bring the winter on right now. We're so ready for it. So just, wow. Just, does that give you any kind of photo opportunities though? Does it do anything to the weather that's interesting or does it just make feel? Okay. Feel it, yes, it, it does actually, because I, I, I noted this last night as a matter of fact, Simon, it's a very astute observation because um, what happens is when it gets like, New Orleans humidity in Chicago is you get that thing at night where the, you know, it just looks hazy. Um, so like the streetlights looked really cool last night. So I was just kind of riding around. Um, you know, I, I do evening rides a lot in the, in the summer just cause it's, you know, it's a little bit it cools off and it's a little bit nicer to be outside. So I'm just riding around taking pictures of old cars <laughs> Which we could maybe, uh, I can maybe discuss at some point. But I, you know, I've been doing this project where I just ride around at night and take pictures of junky old cars on the street. So I did that last night. But the street lights are—they looked really cool because it's just so humid and hazy that they kind of cast that. You know, you can kind of see the beam of light, the shape of the beam of light coming down. 
So yes, it makes so it makes me uncomfortable and angry. And the light looks really cool. The street lights look really cool. I'm looking at your weather forecast, and and those are Hong Kong levels of heat and humidity you're getting. Yeah, it's it's oh. disgust. We Perry, Robbie, and I both said, "How the hell does Perry do that in Hong Kong?" <laughs> with 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 great difficulty. My my <laughs> Canadian sensibilities are just. I, I die a little every time I go outside. That's what, that's what I mean, dude. It's like if you're from if you're like from Canada, which is you know similar weather to what we have here, more or less, but cooler. Yeah. To go to that is just like cool oh. is a euphemism. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's just it's just painful. Like the yeah. hot human thing is just painful. And with a mask on, it's atrocious. Oh yeah, I know. Because I'm like riding my bike around with a with a mask on for yeah. you know. I, so this is kind of silly, but I literally saw a cadre of bike cops yesterday, like twelve of them, you know, riding up the street in double file, um, and they don't have masks on, which is kind of fine. I mean, you're you know you're outside, you're doing, you know, it's the it's it's like the probably the safest place you're going to be is outside if you're not going to have a mask on and they they're a few feet apart and all that but i'm like i'm wearing a mask at this point only because the governor is going to such pains to try to get every asshole who won't wear a mask to just wear a mask that i want to model the behavior basically you know so i'm i'm riding around on a bike with a mask on which doesn't it's totally it doesn't make any sense um, but I'm riding around and it's human. I have a mask on. And I'm like, this kind of sucks balls. Uh, <laughs> just cause it's, you know, unnecessary and uncomfortable, but I still got the damn thing on just because. So there, <laughs> well, uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's as uh, hot as balls and stoke, right? Your weather forecast is looking like a typical cold, rainy Tuesday night in stoke that messy can't score on. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's actually, it's 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 currently really really nice at the moment, as as is very often the way when I'm sitting in in the house recording this podcast. You know, it, it's 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 generally doing something good or something interesting. It, it's either really really sunny or it's or it's snowing really hard and uh, cars are struggling and uh, to to get up the hill hereby. But uh, no, no, it's uh, it's. It's pretty good. It's very. It's really nice, actually. Although I think today is the only good day of the week. So that's, um, what, that's what the forecast says. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm making the most of it in in this room. So are <laughs> you uh, are you going to go out and take some photos later after uh, after we're done? Take advantage of that good light because we never we never got to you last week because you know I was blabbing on about Rolexes and Johnny was blabbing on about Indiana. Well. <laughs> It's 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 got to be said. There's there's I've got so many reasons uh, to go out there and take photographs, <clears throat> and it's it's funny. I, I put a, a post up earlier uh, in the Facebook group, and I've dropped onto Instagram and Twitter, and I think I had five cameras on there. Was it five? Uh, well, so one, two, three, four. Yeah, uh, no, four, four cameras, and uh, all of them very different in their own in their own way. And I then realised there was two the two other cameras and lenses that I'd actually forgotten even to put on the photograph. Although one of them, um, and this is one of the things I was going to talk about last week, I don't actually have it with me now, because uh, in with, with well, it's great news that the Six Towns Darkroom Club is now open again on a Tuesday night. Um, Yay! Yeah, so we're 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 wearing masks and we've we've come up with a um, a COVID secure 
protocol for making cups of tea. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It means basically uh, Brian, our leader, makes the cup of tea and that that's it. Nobody else is allowed to make tea. Yeah, it was, he can wash his hands and stuff because he knows about these things. So, um, so that that's all the preparations are in, are in place uh, for that. And uh, we, we met up to discuss this last week. And uh, Andrew Allen, who's one of our members, um, he was chatting to me about LTM lenses and cameras and things like that. And I just said, well, do you want to, do you want to borrow my Yashica Nikka YF? And, um, and obviously he did. <laughs> and I took it, I took it in and he's, he's got it. So I was going to have a little chat about that because I just got it back from being repaired or serviced. And it's a lovely camera. Um, yeah. It's, we, I mean, we have touched, touched upon it before and now I haven't got it in front of me. <laughs> I'm just going to do it from, from memory at the moment. But it, it's a, it's an odd looking camera. Um, it's, so it's a, it's, it's got, it's a sort of a cross between a, a Barnack and a, and a Leica M camera in that it's, um, it's, it's so it's, a, it's got an M, M39 screw mount, um, but on the back of it, it's got, it, it's still a bottom loading camera, but it had, yeah, whereas like a lot of the cannons and things have got a proper rear door. Um, whereas uh, this one's, as I say, it's bottom fault, bottom opener, but it's got the, um, the flap like a, like an M2. So it's effectively it's a, it's it's a it's an M two with a with a, with a screw mount, mm -hmm. and it's it's just a lovely little left field kind of camera. I mean, it's it's not necessarily the prettiest camera in the world, but I think it's 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 certainly quirky, and I think those those quirky looks make it really endearing. I, I think that camera is awesome because um, you know, like you, I was talking a couple of weeks or months ago about the Nikka type five having the, the back door loading, which makes it so much easier because you don't have to trim the leader. But this, this is like a, a souped up version of that, you know? Um, and I, I just love that this isn't a straight up copy because it has so many unique touches. You know, the fact that it says Yashica on the top and Nikka at the front already makes it unique. Um, it's got that neat little bevel on the front. I, I like the shutter button is so big and flat. And then the, the, the most interesting thing about it is the, uh, the film advances built into the rear of the body rather than on top. Yeah, it's a bit. It's and, a bit like a min Minox style. Uh, the 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 winder on the Minox. Yeah, like the Olympus XA and the um, Contax T uh, compact rangefinders are also like that. Yeah. So that that's pretty neat. But the question I wanted to ask you about this camera is, what's the viewfinder like? Because I've never seen one in person. Um, it's got frame li frame lines for fifty mil. And oh, what's the other one? I think I'm not sure if it's seventy. Is it seventy-five or is it? Or is it a hundred? I think it's a hundred. I think it's a hundred mil. I think the uh, the the other the other frame line for it. And I believe the outer edges are effectively thirty-five millimeters. Um, but it's not. Uh -huh. It's yeah. You you whenever you pick up a, a rangefinder that you've never used before. Um, you always want it to be as good as a Leica, uh, like a as, as a Leica M, and it, it just isn't. Um, it's a which is a real shame. <clears throat> I was uh, I was I was hoping it'd be be pretty special in that department. So it's a relatively small viewfinder, and it's not massively bright, and the 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 focusing patch isn't isn't awesome like it is on many. Although it does have a have a tint to it. I think it even. If memory serves me correct, it's got a bit of a green tint, so it's uh, it's almost it's almost a petri green matic. Close to it. 
Yeah, close, but not quite. It can't, it can't, it can't be a true uh, green, greener matter. <laughs> no, no, unless it's got that big old green window in the front. Exactly. Yeah, it, it has. It has a bit of that Canon Seven look to it. Yeah, uh, looking at the pictures that I'm seeing, yeah. but it makes sense that it's a hundred millimeter frame line because the other um, the, the Yashica lenses for LTM there's there's a thirty five, a fifty, and a one hundred. Yeah, that, uh, that's it. Yeah, so it would be eighty five or something. Yeah, and the lens you got with that is so sweet. Well, I'll, before we come on to the lens, just just rewinding yeah. back what you said about the shutter button, and mm. and when you if you ever read up about this 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 camera, um, people always talk about the shutter button, and 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 Perry's already spoken about the shutter button. I want to talk about the shutter button because the shutter button's great. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you know, I mean, it's one of these things that about making your your dream camera, and you know, and I'd have it wind on like a like a Leica M2, and I want to I want a, a Yashica YF shutter button on every camera. Um, it's uh, I, I don't quite understand why it's so nice. Apart from it, it's 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 large and it's flat. And it it just make you wonder why why don't well, why didn't more camera manufacturers just use a, a wider more comfortable shutter button because you can still put a, um, a what do they call them a, a cable release it's still got a cable release uh, center in it but you don't you instead of like pressing down on something that's that's hardly got any surface area and it's just designed to dig into your finger um, it just just feels like a normal button at the same time it, it's just simple and really effective and I just don't get why that design didn't really carry on or was taken on for that matter but uh anyway enough enough of the shutter button um the the lens it's got a yashinon uh five centimeter f 1.8 and it's fantastic it's brilliant um, <laughs> um i mean the, the the weight and feel of it is 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 good um it could do with a few more aperture blades but at the top of my head i think it's only got eight uh, which is a bit stingy for a uh, for for an LTM lens, um, but the actual uh, images. I mean, I've, obviously, I've only seen what it can do on digital, and I just did a a grab shot uh, last week, and I posted this picture up, um, up as well, and uh, and it's just a a, 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 um, a house plant with lots of small little flowers, and I just took the shot wide open. And I knew that most of the shot was actually going to be out of focus with just like a few points in focus. And it was beautiful. I mean, the, the way that the out of focus um, areas rendered was, was, was beautiful. You know, there's a lovely transition between the two. And, and I, I also, I mean, I posted it up three different ways as well. I, put, I did the straight raw conversion. By the way, I took it on an A7 Mark II. And I just did a straight raw conversion. And then I did... A light touch uh, uh, bit of processing for color, and and then I I, I ran it through silver effects, and uh, the the black and white shot was brilliant. I mean, I, it just yeah. looked beautiful. I mean, I'm not talking about you know how the quality of the photograph or anything like that. Just just the look of uh, of how it how it delivered that shot. It I, I just really want to see what that lens can do on film. Yeah, I, I've played with. Um a lot of the F2s and the F2.8s. The 1.8 pops up a little bit less frequently, but there's oh, there's such nice lenses. And you know, the, it's got that perfect balance because you've got the focus tab on it, but some lenses that have a, a focus tab, the focus ring is small and dinky. But like the focus ring on is just, you know, you see, you see this kind of focus ring on a lot of lenses, 
right? Just a big metal, you know, um, textured ring. But I love it. I think it feels wonderful. I think it's just I, I hadn't. I, I, that, that's one of those things that where you you notice it and you use it and you don't and it doesn't always register and you just put the hit the nail on the head there. I like it because it's got a proper focus ring. Was you know, I mean you're talking about the focus tab. I don't care about focus tabs as you as you already know, and I didn't even notice it had one. Yeah, so yeah. I'm thinking yeah, this is this is perfect for me. Yeah, it's a, it's a small rangefinder lens that you can use properly. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So uh, so yeah so that's that's out with uh, Andrew at the moment and he's gonna he's gonna shoot a roll through through the camera and the, the actual camera itself and the lens they they they're not in the best condition um, there's there's cleaning marks on the lens the the, the camera's you know, it's it's had a bit of a life so it's it's definitely a user but uh, that in itself there's something appealing about a user camera over something that's absolutely pristine because. You mm -hmm. don't worry too much about it. I mean, you're still going to look after it. You don't deliberately start dropping it down the road or anything. But it's you know it's 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 a bit liberating at times. A bit like driving a battered old car that you just don't. Yeah, you know, people give you a wide berth because they they're scared of you because they can clearly tell you don't care. You know, and it's <laughs> and it's the same same principle uh, with 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 these old cameras. You know, you, you it's like wearing an old jacket or an old pair of shoes. You know, you just you've got it, and you know that it'll perform exactly how you want it to do, and you don't care. Yeah, totally, totally. And you know, as long as the stuff that's in the lens doesn't impact the I image, then you're less likely to baby it. And I prefer I prefer lenses in that kind of condition as well. Yeah, and well, clearly what I've seen on 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 digital so far, it's there's there's nothing wrong with the the images it produced. In fact, uh, Andrew sent back a <clears throat> a very simple shot that he he, he took uh, with it and uh, on his Fuji XE3, and and he and he I think he I think it just goes wow, uh, <laughs> yeah something like that. Yeah, he was absolutely knocked knocked out by it. So, wow. Um, so yeah, that's 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 good good to hear that kind of feedback, and it's it's not just you that's liking the lens; other people do too. So, so um, so yeah, so looking forward to getting that back, and I might even use a rangefinder camera just to just to give it a go. Um, Sweet. So that was uh, that was one of the things I was going to talk about last week. Um, the other one, which I've only actually just got round to posting uh, a a photograph up uh, and that was a couple of days ago and it was a picture of my wife and that was using a pentacon 6 camera uh, to which i earlier on when i was chatting to to linden of londinian cameras he was giving me a lot of stick about the potential of that camera actually producing any kind of photograph whatsoever um because linden does not have a particularly high opinion of that camera and i'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm delighted to say that every picture worked i mean i i I haven't actually looked at the exactly how how well they've uh, the framing is spaced, but I got all the photographs out of it that I would expect to get. So I don't really care if the framing might not be entirely even, um, but yeah, it, it it worked perfectly. But it was it was it was interesting because I I I took these photographs. Oh, must be about two may yeah about two months ago. Um, shortly after I've. Um, had gone out for the first time to actually take some photographs after the lockdown 
and we went through uh, into some fields and uh, and the, the sun was starting to get a little bit low and coming through the leaves and such and I thought okay this is it I'm going to do some stress flare testing uh, because I know that Johnny says that flare doesn't work on film. Now I'm thinking, you're wrong, Johnny. It must work on film. And not only that, I bet it, I, I bet it can work in black and white on film as well. And, um, and, and I think the photograph I put up in the group um, proved that it works. Uh, flare is fine on film. It, well, it is, especially if you're taking a portrait and you want to absolutely destroy the contrast, which is very flattering to your subject. So it worked out perfectly. But it, but even though if, putting that to one the, the 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 lack of contrast in the shot to one side, yeah, the actual I th I I was perfectly happy with the with the with the flare effect um, that I got on film. I, I had no it problem with it. Perfect for your subject, it was. Well, there you go. I suppose that's that's the point. There, anything can work as long as you actually use it in a in a way that's appropriate. Should we say? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this, Simon. I think black and white flare looks awesome, but it can also just completely destroy your shot. <laughs> yeah, you. I think you you have to have a pretty strong focus to your image, um, for otherwise it can just you know, overwhelm the shot, can't it? I guess. So, uh, um, but what was what was interesting to me though? I mean, that was that shot in particular was taken with 120 millimeter uh, Biotar f 2.8. Um, Biotar or Biomatar? Oh, sorry, Bi Biomatar. Okay, um, you have to give me a heart attack there. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I would have got. I would, yeah, we would have been talking about it last week if it was a if it was a Biotar. Um, yeah, so um, it, that that's it's it was a really nice lens, and I really enjoyed using it. And I I took out with me the eighty mil Biomatar as well, although this was an older one. The uh, the one twenty mil was like one of the later MC ones, whereas the uh, 80 mil was a was a zebra lens and um both I, I shot both into the sun and uh, just just to see how they both coped and the the, the most noticeable difference uh, between the 80 and the 120 uh was contrast and sharpness and in the the 80 had far more contrast and it was also noticeably sharper in all circumstances mm. um but Interesting. Going back to your, your your point that you made about washing the contrast out, um, the the contrast washed out far far more with the one twenty mil than it did with the eighty, and it ultimately produced shots that I like the look of far more because of that lack of contrast. Mm -hmm. Sense. Yeah. So yeah, dude, low, low contrast is underrated on black and white. You know, in, in this Instagram world that we live in, where everyone just likes to jack up the contrast, so I think true. You know, so true. So, some of the whether it's tonal subtlety or just appreciating the beauty of gray i'm all i'm all up in that low contrast yeah and, and that, that's a, that's an interesting point as well because when i was doing the i mean they were scanned and then uh, doing the, the the processing on them i was uh, it, it, i was thinking oh this is really low contrast and i and I, I tried to you know move the work those sliders to to give me some deeper <laughs> blacks and stuff like that and they the the more i tried the worse the shot looked 
Mm-hmm. And um, right. so it was a case right. of I, I mean, I, st- I still dialed in some black in there because I like to have something that's almost or pre- preferably completely black in a black and white photograph. In the same way as I like to have something that's completely white, um, mm-hmm. if if there's a range of contrast. I mean, if there isn't a range of contrast, you can't do that. But there certainly was in in this, and that that was pretty much as far as I took it. I could have gone a lot harder with it, but when I when I did, it 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 just lessened the shot. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you you've got that, you know, the 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 black on the left-hand side of the frame and then obviously the sun that's causing the flare. You've got the natural like high contrast in the background. So I think the fact that you resisted the urge to bring that level of contrast to the subject as well um makes makes it work really well. Yeah. And yeah. and and the other the other thing that I really like about backlit shots like this with not just the flare is when you have that backlight causing the flare, I think it works best when it also acts as like a rim light um, to separate like your subject from the background. And you've got it, you've got it on her hair here, you know, but also on the little, I, I don't know what those plants are called in the bottom right, but just the, the way that the sun is just separating them from the background, I think looks really good. Yeah. And so it's a perceptual contrast that gets created by that lighting effect. Um, and so it doesn't look, you, right. you know, some low contrast stuff just looks flat, right? But this doesn't look flat because that that rim light effect is giving you that separation uh, and contrast too, and I think it totally. Works. And that that's what I meant by it totally works for that subject. It's like the ideal way to use flare effectively, right? In a situation where if it was like just a landscape, you would get mush, mushy stuff. But it it totally works for a portrait. Really, really well done. Yeah, no, th- thanks. And, and it's got to be said, and I hope Lyndon isn't listening to this, um, it's a little bit overexposed uh, because I think the shutter's a little bit slow on it. But then again... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what do you expect? It's an old, it's an old camera. It's not being serviced, um, to my knowledge. And um, a, th- you know, a thousandth of a second, which is what I shot it at, uh, shot at a thousandth of a second. And... Pff, I don't know. Let, let, let's hope it was doing about five hundredth of a second. Oh maybe. yeah, that thousandth of a second is always aspirational, especially on a camera like that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, so that that would have that would have added to that grain, no, no, no doubt. Because it's a little bit overexposed to to some degree. But uh, no, no, pleased with that. Pleased with the experience of shooting square. Of course, you know uh, we've been talking a lot about shooting square lately, and um, I enjoyed uh, shooting square with that one, although. Ideally, I'd like my wife to be slightly higher in the in the shot, but I couldn't actually get that angle. Your wife was high in the shot? No, no. I'd like her to be probably just a, just a tad higher in the shot, and then I. Oh, I got something else out of that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so we can. We can. We she does have. A, she does have a nice. She does have a smile on her face. She looks really happy. Yeah. Almost. <laughs> almost. Almost. She's almost happy. Is it? She has an English smile on her face. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a bit, um, bit Mo- a Mona Lisa smile almost there, isn't it? Right, like, close right. to it. Um, well, to me, I was thinking that was just pure out joy joyful looking. That's that level of smile totally okay. made sense. <laughs> is that as happy? Is that as happy as a woman ever smiles at you? Uh, no, I'm saying it. For, I'm saying for a, you know for an English smile. I, right. I that that looked like that looked like a knee slapper moment. <laughs> it's, a, it's a smile with a stiff upper lip. Exactly. <laughs> but si- Simon, do you find that uh, when you're shooting portraits and people on square that this happens to you a lot? Because um, this has happened to me so many times the last couple of weeks 
where when I'm framing the shot, it's like it doesn't feel right to put their head so close to the top of the frame. And then you look at the picture, you're like, damn it, I should have tilted the camera down a little bit. <laughs> well, well, you're, you're, you're asking me about portrait photography now, aren't you? So, With square format specifically, well, uh, yeah, yeah, not just yeah, but uh, yeah, um, I, I actually my my portrait uh, my quantity quantity of portrait photography this year has gone up massively. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, I think I've taken five pictures of people this year, um, so I'm probably best. Not, I'm probably not the best person to uh, be able to give you a, an answer on that. Well, but my my learned friend in Chicago has been studying square format photography. I mean, this might be a, a good time to talk about that. Yeah, because this exact issue I have faced too, where it's like I put their eye on the diagonal and then I look at the picture and I'm like, oh, their head needs to be way higher in the frame. But then through the viewfinder, that does not look natural or balanced. Right. Well, that, okay. So I'm just going to say that's where I feel like the use of the rolling R's on the Roly is. Sometimes you can get close enough without it that it, it sort of works, but it changes everything when you put the Rolinar on, like the Rolinar, the portrait Rolinar, the number one. It just it 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 takes all the tension out of the frame because the distance is like is perfect. But, but sometimes you don't want to get closer, right? Sometimes you know yeah. this works as an environmental portrait because she's in this lovely field with bokeh trees in the back, and I think this kind of distance is is. Uh, a really good working distance, but it's just yeah. the placement of the head is so tempting I, I, to put their head near the center like that. And yeah, I, well, right, and that's right. Okay, and that's so that's where I think compositionally it's a, it gets a little dangerous with uh, square because you do tend to put the subject right in the center. And I think usually the subject needs to be like if you draw if you drew a line down the center of the frame, the subject probably needs to be falling just slightly on one side of that line. And then everything kind of falls to me, everything kind of falls into place. But if you kind of dead center it, it's like you're fighting with exactly how high to put the subject in the front. I totally know what you're saying. Um, I, that's a, that's a totally legit thing, I think. So, yeah. Um, so I think that is a challenge of the square format when it comes to just like one, you know, person in the, in the middle of the frame sort of uh, arrangement. Mm-hmm. But you know, there's a diagram for that, Perry. <laughs> so I've seen. It seems like there's there's dozens of diagrams for that, mathematically proven as well. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh my just, god. We'll, we'll stick a little break there. I was just wondering if you if you wanted to um, uh, talk about those those uh, things you've you've just blown your head this morning. Uh, oh man, you want me to go down that rabbit hole? Well, you certainly can do. I, I mean, it, it'll drive Cheyenne crazy, so I'm all for it. Oh, let's, 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 do let's, it. Let's, let's, let's do it. it. All right, you should just just pre- just leave all that in. We don't even need to do the ba- the break. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 yeah. Um, I, I, as as those who uh, pay attention to the Facebook group for this podcast may have noticed, um, uh, well. On the cover for last week's episode, there there were a couple of Perry's photos, and I had overlaid on top of those photos um, some golden ratio diagrams, kind of showing how intuitively Perry had sort of correctly com- composed his photos in a very harmonious way, right within the square. 
Um, and I, I, every every so often I go down this rabbit hole where I, where I look at rule of thirds and golden ratio stuff, mostly because I tend to ignore that stuff consciously, like entirely when I'm shooting. I, mm-hmm. I don't think like, oh, well, it's that third right there. And that's where the ratio, like, I don't think that at all. I just visually find the balance, which I think that's how most photographers do it who, I don't want to say who are any good, but I think most photographers who who do it and enjoy it, it's because they, they're, they're naturally good at composition. It's not a struggle. Um, I think that's just true for photography. I think unless you naturally know how to compose things your photos you're always going to think your photos are shit so anyway i every once in a while i go down this rabbit hole to try to prove not to prove but to just kind of find the the order within the intuition like it would be like me diving into the math maybe if i was parried like to put it as in, in in that way right i like i want to see the math it's like all right i, I just want to see the diagram I don't, I don't, I don't care about the math. I just want to see the overlay of the diagram sometimes. So anyway, I go down this rabbit hole where I look at, you know, all these different kind of ways that you can harmoniously divide up, be it a square or a rectangle or whatever. And there are ways to do it. I mean, it, there are just ways to do it where it, it fits better and it, you know, call it math or call it intuition or whatever you call it. You know, there are ways to divide up a square or a rectangle for a, a more harmonious view. So, you know, I, I was looking at those and then it was just kind of for fun because I was trying to find the math examples of them for Perry because most of them just have the ratio but, out, but not the math. And then I found both. I found the ones that had the, you know, the, the, the graphic and then the trigonometry with it, which goes completely over my head, but I knew Perry was going to enjoy it. So, um, so I was digging around for examples last night and it le- it's just a slippery slope. And every time I, I investigate this stuff, it becomes this like slippery slope where all of a sudden you're like reading stuff about like the Illuminati and <laughs> it's, it's, and, and aliens. And, you know, you know it's, it's kind of impossible because it's just, it's this fundamental, um, it's this fundamental rule of human design that goes back, you know, to like the freaking pyramids and stuff. You know, you can you can find the ratios within pretty much anything architectural, you know, that's ever been built. Um, and you know, a lot of people say it's all BS, and it's you know, there's re- here's reasons why it's BS, but it's it's still there, and I, I find it very interesting. So I went down that rabbit hole last night, and I was looking at all these different systems for how space is divided. Um, and, I, you know, so, of course, I was up till like four in the morning after saying I was going to go to bed at, you know, midnight uh, because I'm reading about all this stuff and throwing all these references out for Perry. So wait, so uh, this is this is completely tangential. Yeah. But is this what those mo- those weird modern art paintings are about? The ones that are just a bunch of rectangles with like red, uh, so- white, yellow and blue squares yeah to some degree it is um to some degree that's exactly what those are about uh so it's all the uh, corbassier stuff um, yeah 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 which so at, at a certain and point peter pieter whatever yeah so so basically post-world war ii you know um uh 
modernism heading into postmodernism, all this stuff, right? Everybody was systematizing everything. And so there were all these kind of systems coming out for making, you know, order out of disorder and blah, 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 blah. So it, it yeah. So it, there's a time and place in which that stuff uh, was all um, like in it, all the intellectuals and everyone that, that was like the, you know, what everybody was talking about at a certain point in time sort of fifties ish. Uh, so yeah, so I find the whole, the whole thing to be really, really fascinating and I can spend way too much time <laughs> looking at it all. Um, but it was good because I found a couple of links. Like there's one, Oh gosh, I don't know if I have the, yes, I do have the link. Hold on here. I'm going to open it up. Um, there's a guy called Ming, Ming thin, I think it is. Oh yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, right. So he he does this really cool thing that's a little bit different, where he talks about uh, compositional theory, where instead of using the typical golden ratio spiral crap, he just uses kind of circles, and he shows with using circles of different sizes where uh, composition, how composition happens, and it's a very to me, it's a much more organic way of looking at composition because you're not trying to imagine these spirals and stuff it's just kind of like it's just finding the harmonious weight where 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 balance exists right within the frame so he has a he has a kind of interesting organic way to do it and i've i've lost and found that same reference about three times and then i go back and try to find it and i can't find it again so i found it again finally late last night and i was really happy um so anyway it was it was a worthwhile rabbit hole to go down if for no other reason then Cheyenne is throwing things right now on the radio. <laughs> we love you, Cheyenne. We're just kidding. <laughs> well, one, one of the coolest things that came out of that was the um, the chart of one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's like a six by eight grid of different like ways to cut the square. Oh yeah, right. And that, that, yeah. that's super cool because I almost want to go out and try to shoot a couple of rolls just like that yeah um, where everything is composed we just see what it looks like and see you know whether it all works and what uh what effect it has on the image because it's i, I love this kind of stuff you know I, I i'm like you i've spent ages just like looking at compositional breakdowns and thinking about them and then when right. you're actually shooting you forget about them but you i like totally to think do. that some of those things get internalized you know well, yeah, and that's, in your subconscious and that, and that's my theory that's i mean that's my working theory is that 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 a a big percentage of people who do photography they do this naturally like they they could never know any of this stuff exists and they just do it naturally because they know how to properly balance something in a harmonious way within a frame they just do it it takes no training it's just it's just inherent right and then other people can learn it but they really have to like learn it right like they have to really study it and figure it out and and eventually you can learn how to do it but i i think it's that's different than having an innate sense of it just out of the box with no training um I, and, yeah right so 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 it's it's really interesting to me as well why some people can do that and for some people it's just not something they're ever kind of going to get you know I, I think it's good to be able to um, 
you, you know, have, if not an understanding, an appreciation of uh, what works in terms of creating a balanced composition and the sort of rules that they say in photography. Right. Um, so that you can more consciously break them when it fits the shot. You know? Yes, exactly. Because, because balance is not always desirable. Sometimes the tension that's created from an unbalanced shot is exactly what is needed for the kind of story or emotion you're trying to convey. Um, yes. and, and I was having a very similar, interesting conversation about this with my girlfriend. We were out shooting and there were, we were on a bus ride and we saw two people pushing, uh, pushing carts. One was pushing the cart up a hill away from us and the other was pushing it down the same hill towards us. And her instinct, because she, she follows this kind of principle that a street photograph is better when the person is walking towards you or facing you mm-hmm. rather than taking a picture of their back. Right, right. Um, and, and, I was, and I was arguing with her and I was saying, yeah, you know, most of the time that's true. But in this case, I would break that rule and shoot the guy whose back is to us. Yeah. Because his sort of arch back pushing the cart up the hill. Yeah, the totally. shadow coming behind him. That feeling of like, you know, um, manual labor and endeavor is the kind of emotion you want to invoke with that sort of image. Right. Like, you know, blue collar worker pushing stuff around a market. Whereas the person who was pushing the cart down towards us, there were a bunch of boxes on the car and they were blocking most of, her, most of her body. And so even though you can see her face, it's kind of a comical picture because it's like a cart with a bunch of boxes and then a head floating above the boxes. <laughs> right, right. Right. And so even though that rule is a good one to bear in mind, kind of understanding what is contributing to the image in terms of like impact, uh, visual and emotional impact means that sometimes you realize, no, that's not what I want with the image. And I got to break that rule. And I think that's where like this kind of compositional nerdery is very, very yes. fasc- fascinating to me as well. Yeah. And I, I, I totally agree with you for this, for exactly the same reason that, that it's almost more important to know how to how to effectively like properly break those when you want to do something different it right it like it it informs the compositions that don't adhere to the rules more than it informs the ones that do if that makes sense right right but that that's where i think there's value in actually studying and knowing them because yes. the 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 following of the rules for what makes like an aesthetically pleasing or balanced image can be very intuitive Yes. Right. But right. to consciously break them, I think right. requires a more of a more of a practiced mastery. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Because you're 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 naturally going to tend to look for the balance rather than purposely finding the imbalance. Right. So you have to like you you've got to like kind of you have to know when to to not do that. Right. Yeah. And you have to and you have to know how to do it. So it's I think that's really true and it's very interesting. You know, like the. And so this all kicked off with that picture of 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 the the boat sort of uh a, you know a third up and a third okay. two thirds up and a third over to one side, mm-hmm. which is like it's like a perfect it was a perfect square composition. And I'm looking at it one of these Corbusier uh, squares, and it's literally just it's I'll have to share it, but it's it's just it's a, a square. With, if you imagine um, an open square in the lower kind of right-hand corner, and then a cross, which is weighted towards the top and the um, the left-hand side, it's like it's just it's the most simple division of a square, one of the most simple divisions of a square. And you just you did it exactly because you got the boat, you've got a horizon line with the boat, right, and then you've got this other negative. So you essentially had a perfect amount of negative space around 
the subject. And it just completely flat out worked, right? Um, but I mean, it's we probably didn't have to struggle with the shot to find that composition. Oh, yeah. The, the only struggle with that one was, do I put the boat on the top or the bottom? Right, ex- exactly. In and it the made- same position. And so that was more yeah. of, do I want the sky or the water to be the thing filling the negative space? Totally. It was a pretty easy decision that the water was better. Right, right, exactly. Now, it's like, to me, it's a really interesting one as well, because that's what it comes down to with the square is, are you going to use a, the foreground or are you going to use a lot of sky? And like in that particular shot, you could tell the sky was like, just sort of like uh foggy so it would have just been a blank white sky so you're gonna it's not like you had like big poofy clouds yeah so like if you had that scene with big poofy beautiful clouds you could maybe make it all about the sky but you you essentially what you did is you use the top of the frame as like a panorama so you could crop that photo as a panorama using the top third of the frame and it would be perfect right but you use the whole square to make that all that water below it, the negative space work perfectly. So like it worked, it worked in either arrangement if you want to think about it that way, but it worked perfectly in the square because the interest was in the lower part of the frame, not up in the sky. Right. So it just, it all fell into place. So it was like, but you can make that decision in a snap on the fly when you're looking at the scene. Right. If you think about, all right, is there include a bunch of sky here and if not you just shift it the other i i think looking at um simon's original picture uh that sort of spurred all of this Mm -hmm. um i i think you can see that instinctiveness happening right because simon you've put um this is your wife, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Is, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Because I, I want to like. I, I, I'm pretty sure. I was like. I'm pretty sure this is Simon's wife. So I, I want to stop calling her the subject. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I mean, like in terms of the horizontal placement, you've put your wife slightly to the left, which makes sense because she's facing to the right. So you give her that space to kind of breathe into. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, when you're thinking about the positioning of the flare and everything, I think the reason. When I look at this picture, I think I the the reason I think putting her head higher up makes sense is because the top left, the, sorry, the top right of the frame is not doing much. You know, the left side yeah. behind her, you got the dark bokeh. On the bottom right corner, you got those neat little plants, right? And then, but the, because the sun and the flare is coming from like right in the middle above her head, that top right quadrant is like, well, what's what's the point of this? Yeah, right. And so you kind of want to balance that out with something and putting her head a little bit higher would, would make in, incorporate that space into what she's like looking into or breathing into. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, there's a, the, the reason there was, there was actually a reason why she ended up slightly lower in the shot than I, I wanted it. And, and that was what was going on with the flare. Yeah. And, yeah. and if I actually had just moved down, I don't know, about six inches, I would have probably got the, the, the correct position, but the, the flare just wasn't doing it in, in that position. I had to be yeah. in that spot to get that flare in the right. way that I wanted it. So, I mean, and, and you know, it's, it's a final image. The, the, the answer to this is cropping it. Yeah, but so I could just take a little bit off the top and a little bit off the, <coughs> off the off one side a little bit. In fact, I'll take it yeah. off the left hand side if I did, um, and and it, and it, it would it would actually get there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but <laughs> I haven't really sp- <laughs> I haven't spent quite as long thinking about this photograph as uh, as we've just done. <laughs> so, but that, or, that would be the answer, really. Or if you wanted to get it right in camera and really piss off your wife, then when you move the cam- <laughs> when you move the camera lower. Uh, to get the correct framing 
Oh no, that wouldn't work either. I was gonna say get her to crouch by the <laughs> same the same amount, yeah. like six inches, so that the the light is still hitting your lens at the same angle. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'd get that enigmatic smile if I asked her to do that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's let's uh, let let's let's move on. Um, yeah, because um, the next next camera and combination I want to talk about is actually more about the lenses, um, and this one is in that photograph that I've, I've put out is my uh, it's using my mpp micropress uh, camera which is the most deceptive or deceiving name for a camera ever uh, because it's certainly not micro um, but it's a four by five camera and um, attached to the camera uh, there is a light uh, 200 millimeter f 3.6 projection lens and uh, to the side of the uh, the shot there's my my latest uh, lens uh, which is uh, by Enna, um, and it's an Enna Episcope 200 3.5. Again, it's another uh, projection lens, and that, I'm actually having this little bit of a thing about projection lenses at the moment, um, because I'm, I'm still being heavily influenced by a chap called uh, Dave Shrimpton, who we had on the Large Format Photography podcast uh, probably about a couple of months ago, and he's been shooting large format SLR shots um, with, with projection lenses, and they're just stunning. And mm -hmm. uh, and I'm I'm it's it's really driving me in that direction. It's also driving me in the direction of taking pictures of people, uh, because that's really apart from taking flowers, um, taking people and projection lenses and flowers that seem to the things that that go together. And it and when you're shooting a large format camera, it doesn't seem quite right. Just go walking around your garden with it, taking snaps. Um, so so. Um, <laughs> Although I must admit, there's there's some huge lilies in our garden at the moment. They're absolutely enormous, and to actually go to actually take those with a a conventional camera, I'll probably have to stand a fair way back and use a relatively long lens to get the framing right, and then I'd feel like I'd be a little bit too far away from it. Um, and I know I'm I'm, I'm I'm going very very dangerously close to talking about perspective here. Um, so, so please don't please don't uh, take take us down that route. Um, but I know that. I I could go up there with a, a 200 millimeter projection lens and I can get closer to it and frame it really, really nicely with, uh, um, with, with that projection lens in, in large, large format. So I, I may actually take a few flower shots, uh, handheld, uh, with this nice. enormous camera. Um, so, but projection lenses, they're just great. Um, and I've got another one on the way as well. I've got a, a metal barreled lens, um, it's a really quite an early projection lens and I forget who, what make it is, but it's a 300 millimeter and I think it works out at uh, 4.5 because back in the day they, they didn't give one of the ways of telling you how fast the lens was or the, the aperture, they would give you the dimension and then you would just divide the rear element dimension by the, uh, the, by the focal length to get your um, uh, aperture. Um, and uh, and that's what this one is as well and it works out roughly around about 4.5 ish and i've already got a, a 304.5 lens that i know that will work with large format and it's from the um my kiev 88 um and that's a what's the lens it's a tire the tire 33 something like that anyway but it's a large format three um six by six but i know it'll cover four by five inches and but the thing is that that's a it's it's got an aperture with it 
and I can easily adapt it to my uh, micropress and use the focal plane shutter on it and it'll be a good lens and it'll give me good solid results but the thought of actually using a, a projection lens of exactly the same focal length or more or less the, the same focal length I know that it's going to deliver me a completely different look and I know that I'm going to want to take people with it in a way that I mm -hmm. think that the the Russian lens will just will just give me a relatively straight but very pleasing shot. Whereas, you know, the projection lens, you just know that that's going to do something interesting within the shot. But I just don't know yeah. what yet. <laughs> Dude, I, for the longest time, I've wanted to um, play with those longer Schneider Cinelux projection lenses on medium format. Um, and you have got these things on large format. But I, what is what is that crazy thing you've got them attached to to get them onto the lens board? Uh, well, it's that is a lens board, and it's um, it's a it's a three D printed uh, lens ah. board. That I, I take the measurements of it and then and then make it so that it, it fits um, either a speed graphic or a or a micro press. Um, I've got to say that the, they they're very very similar uh, between a speed graphic and a micro press. They are actually slightly different, but the way I've actually managed to design it, they all they're interchangeable between the two. Um, not that I'm going to keep my speed graphic. I think I'm going to sell that and keep the micro press. But yeah, that's a that's a three D printed lens board in its own right. That's cool. Yeah. Is there is there a particular reason why you've made it um, not not cone shaped like pyramid part partial um, pyramid shaped? Yeah, I mean, there's, well, there's two two things there. I mean, they're they're relatively long lenses. Um, the way the actual lenses fit the lens board is a friction fit, so you you need uh, to have a certain amount of surface area uh, to 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 grip them. And then the other there are other reasons why they might be different different kind of shapes. But um, one of them is if I mean my my micropress the actual um, longest focal length you can easily use on is about 270 mil um, so if you want to use a, <clears throat> a 300 mil lens you've effectively got to build in an extension into the into the lens board uh, okay so it needs to sit that much further away uh, from the focal plane so therefore you've you've got to make it you've, you've got to give that that extension um, so having the depth in there that in the case of that it, it would it would actually just it's just there just to give it some more distance on it as an extension but in other cases it's to also balance balance the weight of uh, some of these lenses so because the front standard that's the bit that the lens board attaches to um, that's carrying the weight of it and if the weight is you know a, a fair way forward or whatever then you're, you're putting excess strain so mm -hmm. the idea will be just to support as best as possible um the the weight of it so uh and then the actual shape of it i mean it could just be a cone um it's as simple as that it doesn't it doesn't need to be uh built out in the way that i do it but it looks good <laughs> so, <laughs> so i do that yeah it matches the aesthetic of the bellows yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but it just looks good <laughs> that's all there is to it <laughs> um, it, look, it looked good in cad so uh that that was i thought yeah we'll 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 do that um, so yeah, so um, so and the other good thing about big difference between um, these projection lenses and, uh, and and a normal lens is just the weight <clears throat> because you've got mm, yeah fewer elements in it. Um, in the case of the Enna, it's 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 a plastic housing. Um, it's probably a, a three. It might be a triplet, or maybe a maybe a Tessar formulation, maybe. Although it's quite fast for a Tessar if that's what it is. Um, 
but again, that's good news because it's going to have certain. Uh, if it is a Tessar and it's that fast, then you know that it's not going to be that well corrected, uh, which of course is good. <laughs> yeah, in our world. Um, so uh, yeah, but if it was a normal one, you know, it'd be a lot heavier. So if you're using a, an already heavy camera and you want to hand hold it, then having something a little bit lighter, that's that's well worth having. Um, right, so next uh, next camera and uh, lens combo uh, in the photograph is a Mamiya C330 TLR, um, because we've, we've got to talk about TLRs, haven't we? Because that seems to be all we ever talk about in this podcast. And um, it's, not my, it's not my camera. Uh, it belongs to Paul Bullock of the Six Towns Darkroom, um, and it's been in for uh, <clears throat> a bit of work on it, and it's uh, come back and it's lovely. Um, and I just thought, I'm, I'm going to have to pick this up and have a little play with it. I haven't shot any film through it or anything. But uh, apart from being, uh, yeah, the condition of it is beautiful. Um, but I just thought, well, what, what's this like compared to my Roly Cool? Because I haven't got a Roly Flex to compare it to. And immediately when you, you, you put the neck strap on there, you know you're carrying this. Whereas with a Roly cord, you can almost forget you've got it. And And I think that's... One of the big um, things, big differences between <coughs> certainly a Roly cord, um, and I think to a lesser extent, but still, still the case with the Roly Flex. Um, the the weight of these Mamiya's, they they are really chunky, solid, yeah. weighty things. Yeah, and and that's and that's where the great TLR debate always always tended to begin back in the day. <laughs> there were two camps. There was the 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 Roloflex camp and the Mamiya TLR camp, <laughs> and and both sides thought that they were the best, the best solution. And the 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 Roloflex argument was always that, well, yeah, but that damn thing weighs a ton. I mean, <laughs> you can't carry that around. <laughs> well, and um, I've, I, this photograph it went up in on Twitter earlier, and it's largely been the Mamiya that's actually been. Uh, drawing the attention there's a bit of a debate going on and uh, our very own Robbie Jay um, uh, commented um, along with uh, Nasser Hussein as well actually um, but uh, let me just see so some people um, Johnny look down on the Mamiya always <laughs> he's having a go at you um, so I'll, I'll start that again some people um, Johnny look down on the Mamiya TLRs versus Roliflex but my but my friends as you know, obviously a completely different group of people um, but my friends who have them uh, rave about the um, the bellows for close focusing and the lenses and, and that is the big difference isn't it I mean yeah it's yeah you can change your well the yeah, you can change lenses. That's 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 one of the biggest single differences. So you you're not right. stuck with eighty millimeters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and plus, you know, we we mentioned last time in the emails. There's that sweet Heliar uh, design. I think the one hundred and five um, is a Heliar design. So that's obviously you know awesome lens to be able to play with. Oh, I have seen by the way uh, some dude on Flickr using the Mamiya C three hundred and thirty as an adaptation platform. Hmm. Oh, that's Where, cool. Yeah, where he's taken like all kinds of crazy leaf shutter lenses from folders and stuff, and taken you know pairs of them and put That's them on the C3 board. yeah C three thirty boards and then attach them. I'll send you guys some pictures later. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> they're so cool. They are so cool. That's that is such a good idea. <laughs> I wonder how he's focusing them though. Um. So 
Yeah, I don't know. As long, I know. I mean, <laughs> as long as you have both, if, as long as you have both lenses like zeroed out in the same place, yeah, but that means two lenses, though, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got two. two identical lenses, one for viewing and one for taking. That's, right. a, that's extravagant, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a very, that's what so, sounds so cool about it, because it's extravagant. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Is, 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 is that what, what's been done, Perry? Is he using two lenses? Yes, yes. I, I, I will find this for you. You guys keep discussing the merits of... No, I, so, so I, I don't actually look down on the Mamiya TLR. I, I, I'm just going to reinforce this... <laughs> oh, I found it. This, this point of whatever is... I... I, I, I I don't care one way or the other how people feel about gear. I, I mean, I'm, it's, I, I, it's just f-ing cameras. I mean, if if somebody likes a Mamiya TLR more than a Roly, I mean, have at it. One is not inherently better than the other. It's just one works better for the user than the other, right? So, like for me, I like the Roly because it's lighter and I, it's lighter, and I don't need the telephoto. I don't need a longer lens on it. And I don't need a wider lens on it, and I don't need a, t- a tighter lens for portrait because I've got Rolinars. I just throw a Rolinar on, and the only two things I want to do with a Roly are normal, normalish wide square photos and portraits. Those are the only two things I care about doing on a Roly, right? So for me, I'm a Mia TLR. I don't need the interchangeable lenses. I don't need any of it, and I and I don't want to carry it around because it's it's big and heavy. But for the person who really wants the interchangeable lenses. And the close focusing without putting the Rolinars on and the longer lenses, it's perfect, right? It's the perfect solution. But it's not one is not inherently better than the other. This is this oppositional tribal bullshit that we do with everything like in our society now. And I don't if people want to carry it over to gear because it makes them feel good about the stuff that they choose to use, that's fine. But just know that's what you're doing. I mean, it's just just know that you're using these inanimate objects to to reinforce your value as a human being. <laughs> it's just silly. I, I think so. The, yes, the short answer is Mamiya TLR suck. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, Perry. Well, I know. I I think that the charm of shooting a TLR for me is uh, the, how quiet the shutter is, yeah. and also how easily it slides into my camera bag. Right. You know, Simon, I, I've seen that picture of you and Jeremy North that's been going around. Um, <laughs> oh, I saw that one too. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, the, the one from back before social distancing. And <laughs> like like me, you're a man of discerning bag taste and you rock a sweet Billingham, right? Yes. And so in those bags, you've got your little sections and, and you, you want a TLR to just slide nicely into one of those sections. And I think... When when you start messing around with longer lenses, it it it, it it's one of the things that annoys me about the Rolleiflex two point eight E two with the meter because it makes the focusing knob about a centimeter or two centimeters yes. longer, yes. which is not a big deal when it, you're using the camera, but when it comes to sliding it into that when lovely filling compartment in the bag, it doesn't it doesn't it go catches in it. Yeah. yeah, and it's annoying, and I think right. that would irritate me about about the C three thirty. But at the same time, it, it has the quiet leaf shutter. Because if it didn't, if it did not have the quiet shutter of a TLR, right. I would not see that much reason to use it over, say, like a Bronica S2. Right, 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 right. right. Um, or, or, or just like an SLR, where you can actually look through the lens. Yeah. So uh, I have sent you guys the link in the chat, by the way. Um, 
But sorry, I didn't mean to. So the other, so the other thing is that <clears throat> the other bone of content, and I'm speaking historically. So I'm I'm talking back in, you know, 1980. People were having the same debate, is that the Rollies are much more elegant than the Mamias are, and there's. You know, you can argue uh, that's a hard one to argue that the Mamias are equally as elegant as the Rollies, I think, only because of the way the cocking mechanism works. I mean, it's pretty rudimentary. You've got to literally have a lever that comes down when you wind the thing and it, you know, and it and it it sets the trigger on the lens. So it's it's, you know, it but works it, just fine. It's very functional. But if it's, you, just not, it's just not elegant. But if elegant doesn't matter to you. Exactly. If elegant mm-hmm. doesn't matter to you, then that's a bullshit argument, right? It's yeah. a silly argument. But see, it looks a lot. It looks a lot. It's more technical. Yes, exactly. It's more technical. It's got it's got more knobs it's, and things on it's, it. It. It, it. It's 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 like the difference between, uh, um, you know, it's like the difference between a um um a mammal and an insect, where you've got an exoskeleton where all the action happens on the outside versus a mammal where it all happens on the inside. It's like that kind of a thing. Perry's like, what? <laughs> that, is, that is the strangest, the strangest analogy. <laughs> I'm saying like with a Mamiya, you see the mechanics on the outside of the camera. On a Roly, everything is in this, you know, beautifully designed, elegant shell happens inside the camera. You're not seeing shutter cocking. You don't have you don't have hardware to mount and dismount a lens. You know what I mean? You don't have you don't have the you don't see the bellows. It's 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 so it's like the Mamiya. It's like you see all of the all of that on the outside. So like what Simon just said, if you don't care about elegance, it's just the you know or or there's the aesthetic beauty of having all of that on the outside of the camera, right? Other argument. So there's the, nothing. It's, it's there's, like the there's, Lloyd's of London building, isn't it? I, I guess. What does it look like? Everything's on the outside. All the oh, there you go. And ancillary things are external. It, it's you know what it reminds me of? It's like um it's like in the movie Die Hard, where the elevator, think about this, okay? That whole movie wouldn't work if the elevators No, I'm not thinking about Die Hard, am I? I'm thinking about the Towering Inferno. <laughs> oh, oh my word. I was thinking about that the other day. I didn't think anybody else knew about wait, that. Anyway. There, no, 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 wait, maybe it is Die Hard. Isn't there an elevator, glass elevator on the outside? I'm thinking of yeah, the think Towering so. Inferno, aren't I? Uh, well, I think there's I think you've got them in both. Or maybe it's in both of them. That's kind of my point. Was, is, Steve, was Steve, McLe- Steve McQueen in there? Or, or that's the Towering Newman? Inferno. That's that's Steve McQueen. There you so go. we're talking about the Towering Inferno and the famous scene where was it? Is it Shelley? What's her name? Falls out of the glass elevator and plummets to her death. Do we need, so to, do sp- you- do we need to do spoiler alerts now? <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen this movie in nineteen fucking seventy-five, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> but the, think about it. You could not make that movie if it was not about a skyscraper with the elevator on the outside of the building. <laughs> it's the same <laughs> idea, right? It's the towering inferno of TLRs. We have a we have a very similar building in Hong Kong to the Lloyd's building. It's uh, the HSBC headquarters. Everything is on the outside, and it looks really weird. And then yeah. the, the 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 weird thing about that building is, you know, just like the Lloyd's building, you've got. It almost looks like scaffolding and escalators and stuff all on the outside. But then at night, they light it up bright pink, and, and it's all glass. And, and it just looks like a brothel. 
like a gigantic <laughs> waffle that says HSBC on it. <laughs> I'm just looking at a picture of the Nakatomi Tower right now, and it is, in fact, a clean design. So it's the opposite. Nakatomi Tower is, is the Roloflex of skyscrapers. So it would be the opposite of the one that you both just mentioned. Okay. Yeah. Glad we cleared that up, guys. Yeah. And let's just <laughs> let's let's move swiftly on. Uh, still with the Bermuda, but the the other big difference, and you've already touched upon it, um, but I think it just needs a little bit more. And that's the uh, the close focusing ability. The the C three thirty is fantastic straight out of the box. You can just do it and go into semi macro uh, levels of magnification straight away. Right. Why and yeah. why the fuck would you want to do macro with a TLR? <laughs> well, come on, Rolnars exist, right? I, I, yeah, and so does freaking parallax, people. <laughs> I mean, come on. So that's that's another one of those silly debate points. Well, but if, but if, if there's play, a place I'm for playing, I'm playing the role of the silly debate TLR debate points. I'm not saying this is true. <laughs> Okay, well, yeah, I I I like I liked it. I was impressed when I just played with it anyway. So that, that's that, awesome. I'm, so, I'm sold. Um, except yeah. it's too heavy, so I'll probably stick with the rolly cord at the moment. There you go. Yeah. Um, Yo, um, you guys, did you click on that link of this crazy adaptation? Yeah. No, wait. Did you send it, Perry? Yeah. It didn't look that crazy. Right, but if you zoom in and look at what the lenses are, it looks normal until you see what lenses oh, you put on. Oh, the right, yeah. I get it now. Uh, oh yeah, that's f-ing whack, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's great. That's, it's nice. That's... He's got a Voigt, He's got Voigtlander Heliars. Um, oh, excellent! He's got t- that's hilarious. And then the other one, he's got a lights. Uh, is that a Hector? Yeah, lights Hector yeah. one thirty five. Yeah. Although yeah. for the viewing lens, he's using uh, something else, not a second lights Hector. Yeah, you uh, use a good lens for the taking lens and a shitty lens yeah. for the viewing lens. Right, which which is which is how how it should be. Yeah. So I mean, this, it probably takes a lot of work to to collimate and like line these up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dude's username is Septac on Flickr. If you want to look him up, which you know Septac is a reference to the extremely uh, insane Dalmeyer Septac line. So this guy is clearly a huge lens nerd. Uh, we might have to we might have to get him on. Let's yes. see if we can get him on. This is really cool. <laughs> I think I've had conversations with him in the past, actually. Oh, have you really? I, in the past, I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I have. Yeah. It does All ring right. a bell. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, <clears throat> um, next, God, this is a, this. We're doing well here, aren't we? Um, hour and twenty odd minutes. I know it's not quite that long, is it? But um, yeah. So next, next camera and lens combination in there is a is the. Uh, Minolta X500 and my 75mm Biotar, um, which is an exact exact amount lens. But the the the, the news here is the two are actually mounted together uh, because uh, you may remember uh, from a few weeks ago um, I, I picked up this this Minolta X500 with a view to mounting uh, the Biotar on the recommendation of uh, Johnny, um, and then realised that the adapter was an absolute well, they're just damned expensive uh, to get right. um, a exacter to MD adapter. <clears throat> but then last week, 
a chap called uh, Tim Singleton, who's effectively my shout out this week, I guess, um, posted in photography with classic lenses. And uh, he put a post up there saying, I'm getting rid of a load of my adapters and things. And, and that immediately uh, makes you go straight to the pictures and look at them in detail and just think, oh, what's that for? What's that for? What's that for? And uh, is there anything interesting there? And, and of course, my eye immediately went to the funny looking adapter with the, with the, with the lever. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder, I wonder, is it, is it? And so I, I, I direct message him and it was for um, an altar and we did a, a deal for a price we were both happy with. Um, so that's great. And they turned up today. Um, so um, I'm delighted. Right. And, and I've got to say it, as much as I turn my back on using this this Minolta because I'd realised I I could just about find a way of making it work with my uh, Canon EOS One N. Um, now I've actually put it on this 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 Minolta. I'm I'm sort of now thinking mm, this could be the way to actually use it again now um, yeah. because as much as I I malign Minolta lenses uh, regularly and with good reason. Um, <laughs> Um, the um, the way that I, I do like the cameras, and it's got a beautiful, bright focusing screen, which the Minolta's are well known for. Um, but I've got to say, this this adapter, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it, it fits onto the camera beautifully. It's flawless. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then flawless. you put the lens onto the adapter, and it's beautiful again. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, well, you you get you have like a double bayonet lock, so it's just perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Those OG adapters are so nice. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and and that's one of the things that really it, it annoys me. I mean, I you know we we all adapt lenses, and especially those of us that that, that use use digital. I mean, I've got tons of uh, adapters, and they're decent adapters, but very rarely do you get an adapter that actually feels exactly like this does where you just know that that just feels like it was made for this but well it, yeah. was, it, it was made for the for the Minolta by Minolta and it feels like the other end of it was was made for Minolta by Carl's Ice you know that, that's that's how it feels <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, why, yeah why can't people make well actually I know the answer um, yeah but you said like why I'll, I'll, I'll spell the question out why can't people make adapters as good as as these adapters and the simple answer is it's tolerances and it's cost and people don't want to pay that kind of money um, right because they want to buy an adapter the I don't know for ten dollars twenty dollars or whatever and right. you know if a camera manufacturer brought this adapter out and they use their their tolerances for it It'll be six, sixty, sixty dollars, seventy dollars, eight hundred dollars, totally. something like that. And it, and and back in the day, if you probably if you found a catalog and found the cost of that adapter back in the day, it probably was like eighty dollars in today's money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because because they because you're right. I mean they they're well engineered and 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 so the old school camera guys always look down on adapting lenses. Like this was a battle I had all the time at Central Camera. Is the old school camera guys. Like people would come in with a lens they want to put on digital and they'd be like, oh, why do you want to do that? That's going to suck. It's not going to work. The tolerance is going to be off. It's going to be shitty. And it's like, no, dude, shut up. It's going to be fine. It's digital. It works fine. It's not like it's on a film camera. But they got that attitude because back in the day, adapting between film camera systems, if the tolerances weren't like dead nuts on, it was going to look like crap, right? So. Mm -hmm. So the really good adapters from back in the day are really good, <laughs> you know. So that's that's kind of the difference. Is like the you 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 can cheat so easy if the adapter's off. You see it in the stupid live view now. You know it's off. <laughs> yeah, 
right? So, but yeah, back in the day, those adapters were like, man, they're really, really well done. Yeah, yeah. There's there's just joy in using them. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's 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 give me a dilemma now um, as to how well which which film camera is going to get the gig for shooting the um, the the, the biotar. Um, and I don't know. I really don't know which one is going to be now because it just just <laughs> works so really. I mean, the only thing really that the Canon has got over the Minolta is the top is the shutter speed, and mm. and the way that I want to shoot it uh, will probably could do with that shutter speed unless I of course just use a um, a slower a slower film. So mm. uh, perhaps that might be the answer. Just use some slow film, and then uh, I should be able to cope shooting wide open. But one point yeah. five is wide open, and you know, it's, it's letting a lot of light in. Yep. <clears throat> there we go um right so let's move on to oh this is my last thing go on sorry before you move on to the next thing um can, can i rewind just a little bit yeah um when we were talking about the mamiya c330 we ended with this septac guy who's adapting lenses onto it right yeah um and you know how we were talking about how folders are crap and it's better if you take the lenses off and put them on a real camera <laughs> yes, so, you, 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 you say that so 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 i just want i want to read this guy's uh caption here um for when he put the heliar on a mamiya c330 just to just because i think it's interesting so he says he's made a voigtlander lens panel with a helamar 105 3.5 viewing lens and a heliar 105 3.5 taking lens both lenses are accurately adjusted together they're uncoded which is great for him blah 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 okay now then he says Originally mounted in Bessa RF cameras, but the bodies were completely damaged, only scrap. But even on uh, when they work, in the Bessa camera, the Heliar cannot show its whole quality because the film plainness, which I think he means film flatness, yeah. uh, is disastrous. I tested it with a lot of cameras. It's always the same. The film bends in the camera, and it is not possible to use the lenses wide open or uh, in mid or close-up ranges. The Bessa 2 was better, but not much, not enough. And all Bessas are not steady enough to hold the lenses needed in the exact position. So right. here the Mamiya is a better choice. A smaller frame size, but with a lot of advantages. A good home for these two lenses. Mm. Right. And you've just spoken complete heresy and brains have exploded everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know why? Because it's true that's exactly the point i was trying to make uh in the previous episode right it's like it's better when you take the folding lens off right. the folder <laughs> because as you said in that episode johnny the problem is the folding camera not the lens right exactly and 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 yes eric it is true that if you have a completely <laughs> perfectly adjusted camera that you've had overhauled and it's a hundred percent like the like brand new from the factory and it's all perfect it's gonna rock it's gonna rock but 99 percent of them that are gonna exist out in the world are not gonna be in that kind of condition and they're not gonna rock and that's kind of what we've been saying all along and i've been saying all along it's much less of an issue on six by six folders because the rigidity it's just physics. The lens is further out from the le the lens board is further out from the body. You've got it on a longer piece of metal that folds out from the camera. It's just physics. It's just yeah. distance, right? It's just the amount of metal. And so six by six folders don't suffer the same problems for the most part. They tend to not have there's just less flexibility just by nature, right? It's like a skyscraper. It's like a Nakatomi Tower. 
the taller you make it, the more it's going to flex just in the wind and stuff, just naturally. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, exactly. there you go. So I'm willing to offer an apology to folding camera lenses. Uh, lenses, you are not the problem. It is the cameras on which you are mounted. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like um, the old vest pocket Kodak cameras. Uh, right. That like you, if you pull the lenses out of those camera bodies, the images don't look like if you see old photos made from those cameras. Even when they were new, they look kind of funky because the camera bodies were shit. They leaked light. The film isn't flat, right? And you, but you pull those lenses out and you adapt them, and they look amazing if you stop them down. <laughs> and it's it's because it's just the camera body build technology. It's just inherently not. Uh, whatever. We're not okay. saying we're not saying they suck. We're just saying they suck. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, Simon. I, I interrupted your segue. Yeah, sorry, Simon. Okay, well. Uh... <clears throat> my 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 final camera um <laughs> that uh I've, I've 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 chosen that uh, this is this is going to be definitely a camera that i'm going to put some film into it and frankly it was sitting on the shelf looking looking pretty and uh but having having listened to johnny uh last week uh talking about kodak uh, retina cameras um, did we talk about retina cameras last week we we, we did and oh. in, in, interestingly enough yeah, I was thinking that any kind of complaints or um, blowback we were actually going to get last week was going to be down to Perry's obscure uh, pornography reference. But no, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 shocked, it shocked me completely um, when, when I actually looked it up and view, viewed it. And unfortunately, the, it, it's still with me today um, and possibly will be with me forever. And so... Yeah, and I'm sure there are people out there that would have had a similar kind of experience. Um, but no, they didn't. They didn't necessarily come onto our, our our group and and put put Perry right on that one. Um, but more on that soon. Um, they, I've got this, um, this 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 Retina camera, uh, which was uh, part of a range that was uh, much maligned by Johnny last week. And I thought, well, this 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 looks. It's a really interesting looking camera um, and you know i have to admit i bought this camera specifically for the lens uh, that was on it and it's uh, a retina uh, retina xenon uh, 50 millimeter 1.9 i've spoke about it before and i've adapted this onto my sony <clears throat> and i've been really really happy with the results uh, that it does yeah. on digital um, but of course you know really it'd be nice to actually see what this can actually do on, with film and this this camera it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, it's it's when I've when I've opened the uh, the 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 back up on it. I'm just doing this at the moment now. It doesn't even look like it's had a roll of film through it. Um, yeah, you know why? Never uh, mind. <laughs> yeah. Well, keep keep that thought. Um, <laughs> but um, I. It, it almost seems a shame to actually do it, but I'm going to. But somebody's got to run a roll of film through it, otherwise it'll just sit on the shelf again, won't it? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and... I, just I think, like the last time it had a roll of film run through it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, 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 shutter, the shutter speeds seem to be responsive. The, even the selenium cell um, seems to do something. I've not actually checked you know, how, how accurate it is, but it's, it's doing something. Um, so it, it's, 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 it's lovely. I mean, the... 
one one issue I do have with it. I mean, there's a couple of it's got quirks, and uh, and Perry mentioned one of them last week, and I'll about the Wait, the, the winder. Your Reddit has quirks. <laughs> yes, it has, and the, the the one thing that I I don't like about it, apart from the fact it's lots of sharp angles and things, but I mean that's just one of those <laughs> things for uh, cameras of that era. Um, no, it's a dream. Never mind. Yeah, as I'm. <laughs> <laughs> it appears to use a, a pentamira rod and the pentaprism from what I can tell, um, which I was, yeah, you know, I don't know if I'm right on that one. I'm, I'm sure somebody will, will correct me or, uh, oh, do you think? or, or, conf or confirm if, um, if I've got that right, but I think it's got a pentapri a pentamira in there, uh, because I can like see the sides and angles and things like that, which, you know, it's, a, I, I'm just, just wondering what the reason for that is, because I mean, the quality, the way this is built is exceptional. Um, and it's heavy, and I'm just wondering, you know, well, a prism does weigh more than mirrors, uh, but it doesn't weigh that much more than mirrors. So this, to me, is a it feels like a, a cost cutting exercise and a and a and a bit of a jewel of a camera, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, but on the positive sides, the shutter. I'm just going to fire the shutter. I mean, that is a shutter. I mean, here we go again. Yeah, it's beautiful. Absolutely yeah. beautiful sound, sounding shutter. And when I posted the picture of this camera up um, a few days ago, what that was actually one of the comments that um, somebody, somebody made about just how good um, the, the shutter sound is. And it is, it's beautiful. I really, really love the sound of that. Um, and there was one other thing. Oh, yeah, so so Perry mentioned uh, quite disparagingly the uh, the position of the, of the shutter winding lever. And... <laughs> and I was, I've been, been thinking about this, but I was thinking, why, is, why was it stuck at the bottom of the camera? Um, and, and I can only, well, there's, well, well, there's two reasons, two potential reasons. One, the person that designed it didn't have a thumb. Uh, or so, they were upside down. Yeah, well, could be, could be. Yeah. Actually, can you use that upside down? Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't really work that ergonomically upside down either. Um, so, so assuming that they didn't have an accident and didn't have a thumb, um, the only reason I can think of is just pure aesthetics. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but that that seems to be the reason. Because why not? I mean, it's it's. Well, it's, you know what? You'd have to ask a a a, a, a a historian who who either has proof or would speculate on such a design element. Yeah. Well. But too bad there's none of those around. Well, we do. We do actually have one in the group now. And, no, no, uh, we don't. We oh, don't, though. That's that's the point, is we don't. Oh, okay. unless there's some Unless there's some proof in writing about why the location of that winder is on the bottom, we know nothing. And if we speculated, we would just be speculating. Right. Now, now this... Now this this is uh, bringing us neatly on uh, to, to to what you've been up to this week, Johnny, um, and um, so uh, Johnny, how's your week been? Um, I, you know what? I can't. The only way I can describe what's go, what's gone on this week is actually to um, to use a, a a pop culture reference to help explain it. So if you don't mind, I, I'm just going to go through that right now. Arrangement can be reached. There will be no arrangement. 
and you're killing her. Well, if there can be no arrangement, then we are at an impasse. I'm afraid so. I can't compete with you physically, and you're no match for my brains. You're that smart. Let me put it this way. Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates? Yes. Morons. Red. In that case, I challenge you to a battle of wits. For the princess? To the death? I accept. Good. Then pour the wine. Okay, um, and have you got any shout outs? <laughs> no, I don't have any shout outs. I'm all good. Okay, uh, Perry. Uh, do I have any shout outs? Not off the top of my head. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, we must have some. Uh, oh, we got an email. Oh, we do have an email, don't we? Let's so, do the email, right? Yeah, let's do the email. Okay. So uh, we have an email from – oh, he does he have his name in here at the bottom maybe? Just his first Dan. name. Dan. Okay. It's from Dan. Uh, email from Dan, and the subject is Shim Shim Cherie. I think you meant to sing that. Uh, you know, I did queue up the music for Mary Poppins, but we've queued up enough audio for one episode. So I, I, I won't, I won't. I mean, unless you want to, I could do that. But uh, Shim Shim Cherie, imagine uh, what's his name with this horrible English accent singing that. You've got it. Dick, Dick Van Dyke. You got it nailed. You got it nailed. And he says, hello, did you guys know that the Pentax 55 millimeter F2 is just the F1.8 with a shim in it? to make it slower did uh, they did this for marketing reasons on each on each release cycle they offered this 55 millimeter ultron as a kit lens but they wanted to sell a slower lens with their budget bodies to set it aside from the more expensive bodies uh sv versus hv3 or k1000 versus kx uh they are literally identical lenses though in today's world, this little shim means you get a high, a slightly better corrected lens with perfectly round bokeh when shot wide open. Uh, that got me thinking, is anyone shimming optical blocks these days? How difficult would it be? Uh, there are so many portrait lenses I own that have hexagonal bokeh that could really do with an f2.8 or f4 shim. I'm sure you're getting the picture. Shout out to Simon and his lens caps. I bought a 35 millimeter contacts mount Biagon. It came with a crumbly felt cover. Uh, I have <laughs> I, have, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I had this lens sitting under a whiskey glass until my order showed up. Best regards, Dan. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's fascinating. Though, I mean, uh, I mean, we were having a very, very brief chat uh, be- beforehand, and we we're questioning whether "shim" is the correct word for for, right. for what we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, because I know what he's talking about. He's talking about the fifty-five f two has basically a. It's not really a 
it's not really a shim. It's it's it it's a it's like a throttle essentially. It's just like a round aperture, right? That it's just a blacked out round, almost like a waterhouse stop. Exactly. That just just you know sits at the edge of the lens so that it's it's an f2 instead of a 1.8 thus thusly stopping the lens down ever so slightly and also thusly making it a slower spec lens on paper um i don't know if either of these are ultrons design wise are they I'm not sure about yeah, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, sure I'm, I'm sure that Cheyenne is now looking this up as we... I'm sure he is too, and we'll have all the links later <laughs> in the podcast notes. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they basically just... I mean, this is the, you know, people who know, who are in the know on these things know that it's the same lens. It just has that little, let's call it a waterhouse stop built in to stop it down ever so slightly. Um, uh, is anyone doing it these days? I mean, I I can say that for sure. If you look at the Voigtlander 15 millimeter super wide Heliar, it has exactly the same arrangement. Like if you look at it from the back, that lens could be technically wider than f 4.5, but they have it stopped down because optically it probably really falls apart at that point. So, you, you know, mm. the whole point was you make the lens small size good for the you know it is what it is right but i have often thought if someone had the gumption to pull that stop out of a voigtlander 15 millimeter four by five what would the actual working aperture that lens be i'm not sure but it would be wider than 4.5 so it it does still happen i'm i I know there are other lenses i have seen where if you look through the back of the lens it's really obvious that they're is a built-in stop to throttle the lens down to a certain aperture. And I mean it's and it's it's because optically the lens is better it's going to perform better. There's a there's a modern lens I, I saw this uh last week and I think it might have been on DP review where there's a uh and somebody had done an article and you could do like a firmware update or something like that on the lens itself and, and to to make it open up a little bit 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 wider but again yeah. but that i i think the reason for that is is almost certainly going to be exactly what you've just said there in, in terms of op- optical performance and we we talked about this when we had jason lane on um, mm-hmm. and he would say that you know and he, he, he did say that you know some of the uh, designs that have gone out there could be faster but they would they they realize that you're going to be go beyond a certain point and you're going yeah. it's going to compromise the the image quality much in the same way as wide lenses just don't keep on focusing to to, to macro levels because you, right. you you're going to lose something again optically past a certain point um, but this is different, though. In the case of Pentax, we're just doing it purely for for marketing reasons, which sounds a bit like Canon, really, doesn't it? Crippling cameras. <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, I and I, you know, there's I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of weird speculation about Pentax stuff, like the whole the whole eight element mythology stuff about how they lost money on every lens. They bullshit. <laughs> come on, that's come on. We don't really believe that, do we? Gosh, it's a good story, though. It's a great story, but it's you know it's it it's 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 marketing. I mean, it's the story itself is marketing. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's just silly. So I, I I don't know if that was their original intention was to you know just have the lens be a lower spec on paper so they could sell it for less money. I'm not sure if that was their thinking or if that was just the end result, the effective end result of doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, 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 I don't know. I mean, it, it, I mean, it, the, the result is that it performs better. I mean, if I, even mom, I have the, I have the, the, you know, the old 55 1.8s. And if you stop them down just a hair, even between the two stop between, you know, between 1.8 and 2.8, they perform better. So it's kind of just saving the user from having to stop the lens down a hair <laughs> to get better performance out of it. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, the, the, the end result and the, the reason behind it may be two different things or they may be the same thing. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I, was, I was listening, not listening, I read something this, this morning uh, about Tesla and there's a, there's a hack, um, I think it's a piece of equipment and you can plug it into your Tesla and um, it will then enable some of the modes that you would normally have to like pay two thousand dollars for to to have it unlock so you get an extra 50 horsepower or or something like that oh that makes sense yeah and mm, that's that's an that's an interesting one in itself where you know you've you've got something and and that you know i made a little crack about canon earlier um about crippling cameras and things because there's like the the r5 um, and the jury's out on this one because I've, I've read some contrary reports on this and that, that there could actually be some genuine reasons for it. Um, but there was, um, oh, what was the feature? Um, oh, yeah, that's it, the video recording feature. Um, it would overheat um, ah. or allegedly overheat past a certain time point. And, oh, then, right. it would, and then it would yeah. have to cool down for a certain right. period and then it would work but the thing is though it didn't seem to actually make any difference at all as to the you know, the ambient temperature of the camera or or anything is like this, that is this is this the 30 minute video thing no i don't well i think it's part i don't know i don't think it's it's not specifically to do with that no it's not actually it, it's okay um you know on the face of it it's almost it's it sounds like canon crippled the camera um because okay. they didn't want it to take sales away from some of the <clears throat> more professional uh, right. video line cameras um and it certainly appears that the it's a it's an arbitrary uh, decision within the camera to actually say that oh we're now overheating now and now you've got to cool it down because it just doesn't seem yeah. to be actually doing that and i've read some contrary reports to say well actually there could be some good good engineering reasons why it does that and right. you know and it's one of these things where you know you you think you're oh i've caught you out canon but actually you haven't and there's good reasons for it right. so um, right. the, the 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 jury is absolutely out on that one but it, it's 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 an interesting one in in itself and like I say this this tesla one you know the 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 car is capable of doing other things the car that you have purchased will do more things than than it's than tesla allow you to unless you actually give them some money and then they just send you a software update right um, and all of a sudden your 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 car is better or faster or something like that and that's but, quite annoying really but how is that any different than Musclehead gear guys in 1966 taking their Pontiac GTO and screwing around with the engine to get more horsepower out of it. It yeah, it didn't come that way stock from the factory, but everybody knew you could go in and change this and that and it was going to, you know, when you went drag racing that weekend, it was going to it was going to perform, but I, I don't really see how it's any different ultimately well, I, I think the difference there is that you wouldn't take it to the pontiac dealer to have it done because you could just do it yourself yeah but can't you do the same with a tesla 
Isn't no. that the whole point? Is that people are hacking them to do the same? Well, well that's it. Well, the, well t- I mean, we've slightly moved away from lenses now, but the um, the but yeah, the the, the principle is 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 more or less the same. But um, yeah. but, they but they you, don't they don't want you to do it. That's that's right, the but, main difference. So they want to charge you for it. But they didn't want you to do it with the Pontiac either, because it was not the most efficient way to run the car. And you're going to put you more could, strain on it, and you could potentially the the warranty right. and, and and so on. But yeah. yeah. But you just know so, that a little bit of code is just going to make that car a little bit quicker, and it's going to do exactly the same thing the Tesla would charge two thousand dollars for. Yeah, it's the same stuff that everybody's been doing forever. It's just with software now. It's just virtual or something. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a big deal. It doesn't. It you know. It doesn't seem like a conspiracy worthy thing for people to be concerned about. But that's just that's just our world. I mean. Everything's got to be a conspiracy. So, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, back onto the uh, email from Dan. That was a, that was a, that was a, a really interesting email. And, uh, it is, yeah. And I yeah. know that, that Perry's been on mute now for a good five minutes. So, I, I think he's been doing he's some been search by- on the, yeah. whether it's an ultra yeah. or not. No, 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 no. I, I wasn't actually searching. That. I'm, I'm looking at lenses, but but not, not, <laughs> to, not to buy. <laughs> So yeah. I, yeah. one one thing that came to mind for me when he was talking about so many portraits I own have that, you know, bad bokeh could really do with a 2.8 or an F4. Well, you know what you could do? <laughs> you don't have to buy an 80 millimeter 1.8 lens or a 90 millimeter F2. You could get a 90 millimeter F4 lens and it would do the same thing. So I'm just thinking it's it's kind of like a lens we've talked about before where people think oh but it's only an F4 and which is the 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 Leica the 90 millimeter F4 which is it, it's an amazing lens and you can shoot it wide open at F4 and it's going to be really nice because they didn't have to make it an F2 <laughs> to make it be a nice lens. So I mean part of it is I think this this aperture silliness also like everything has got to be like an F 1.8 lens or faster for it to be, you know, it's just a thought. It's just a thought. You can skip the whole problem with the Boca with the hexagonal stuff by just buying a slower lens. I don't know. So not quite as simple as that though. Well, um, not quite. No, yeah, it's not. because I'm I'm just, I'm, you know, yeah, but it's different, different lenses are still going to give you a different kind of character in the, in the yeah, outer focus yes. areas. I mean, we've, talking about teleartons last week and i know right. that the the the, the 85 uh, millimeter f4 teleartons um i don't like what it does in the outer focus area at all it's a, it's just a really nervous looking lens um, and i've used it in a couple of different circumstances and i just wasn't really happy with it at all compared to a, a faster lens or even a 2.8 lens stopped down but to the, f4 yeah but right but that but but the aperture isn't going to I because th- I think he's just talking about round bokeh. Is the, if it's yeah, only yeah, to, yeah. if it's right. That's what that's what I'm saying. If it's only to accomplish getting round bokeh, then just you could get a slower lens and shoot it wide open. Yeah, but and, in F4 though, you, you've, the the bokeh balls are not going to be particularly attractive or or large enough really to be interesting. Surely. Yeah. No. Yeah, they are. The, on the ninety on the ninety millimeter F4 Leica, they look just fine. If you're using it for portraits, the background is beautiful. It's nice. It's nice and smooth. Okay. 
Yeah. We're going to agree to differ on that one. <laughs> yeah. I could play the Princess Bride thing again and we could talk about it. No, longer. no, no. We've, we've, you sure? We've, we've, we've done that. I was trying to okay. work out what the film was, actually. At first, okay. I, I thought it was you know, I thought, here we go, uh, Big Lebowski uh, coming up. But no, it wasn't. So, uh, no, it's the so, Princess Bride. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, magical movie moments, Simon... There's one thing that we shouldn't forget to talk about, because I have something queued up for that also. Okay. <laughs> Which is the aha moment that you started to have that off before we started the podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's true. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I've, yeah, I have one more thing to talk about. From uh, where's it gone? I've, I've put the thing down somewhere now. It's... This episode, by the way, is is Simon demonstrating the dangers of fracking. Just a gas, a gas explosion. <laughs> there at Stoke. Um, I've, I've, I've lost my thing. You've lost your thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I found right, well, it. let me let me play the musical. Inter- let me let me okay. play the musical introduction. Okay. okay. Yeah. And then you, and then you can pull your thing out. Yeah. So here we go. Hold your breath. Make a wish. <laughs> Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be. In a world of your imagination. Okay, so with that, we can now talk about Simon's thing. Okay. Um, and a few weeks ago, I spotted something on eBay, as you do. And in the case of this, I was thinking, I don't actually know what I'm looking at, but it's not what it says it is. And the the advert, uh, the listing, um, had this down for some kind of uh, Voigtlander um filter and clearly it wasn't a filter because he's got a, 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 a cold shoe mount um and so it's some kind of viewfinder um except you don't get a view th- through it because when it turned up i thought oh this is nice it's got the box for it and it's in really good condition and i, and I looked through and i think oh this is this is this is a bit weird because i can't actually see through it and i look at the back of it and i think is this got some is this like brand new and i've i've just need to like remove the tape off the back of it uh to 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 make the thing work properly but i but when you look through it, it it's there is actually something that you see so yeah we started talking about this before we started recording and um i think we <laughs> let's uh but we stopped and said no let's let's finish right. this bit off so what is this thing it, it just just so you know it, it's a uh it's by voigtlander and, yeah. uh, and on the box, it says 24 by 36. That's obviously the frame size for 35 millimeter film. Um, and it's called a contour. That's K-O-N-T-U-R. And it's, Very European sounding. Contour yeah. with a K. A- yeah. Exactly. And so the question was, what on earth have I got here, Johnny? Okay, so let's go through what we did, right? Because this is this, so this is where we started. So I said, okay, Simon, so with your left hand, hold hold that thingy up to your eye, Right. And then keep your other eye open and look through the thingy yeah. and tell us what you see. <laughs> and, and this is the bit where I said, oh, we've got to talk about this. Um, <laughs> and because uh, this is, this is I, what, what this has actually done, it's turned my head into a bright line finder. <laughs> <laughs> which is right yeah because it, in inside it there's there were some markings and there's a square and uh and it's got an inf- at the top of the the image it's got an infinity symbol 
and then underneath that uh, with a dotted line horizontally it's got uh, one meter to three feet yeah um and and there's effectively a bit of parallax going on i think yeah, um, it's a parallax correction yeah yeah, yeah um close. yeah so so when i look through this as 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 uh, as requested it, it it's uh, yeah i it's framing my view that's that's what that's what it does um, right and so this is quite remarkable um but the other part of that is i still have no idea why why this is a good <laughs> thing <laughs> so effectively the most natural one-to-one -one view right 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 and is that is yeah. this meant to be but she doesn't say it's 50 millimeter it, it's whatever my eye is i suppose i don't i don't know it's the the, the box the, the box on there the square box is 50 millimeters unless it's marked differently but it, they're almost always 50 the, the the 35s are kind of unusual and i think there's even a couple more sizes but they're pretty unusual so yes it should be a 50 millimeter so <laughs> why <laughs> why, why, why is this a thing so you have to get into the mind of the voigtlander design ethos i think on this one it, it, that the the genius of it is that you're using your own vision as a bright line viewfinder because you're you're blocking out your vision on one side it's all black except for the bright line right yeah and the information. And then your other eye is open, which actually gives you the scene that you're looking at. So it's over, it's using your own visual perception to overlay. It's like a heads up display. Yeah. Right. Except it's all in your, it's all in your mind. So you, so your own brain is, is producing a bright line viewfinder. Okay. I'm going to ask that question again now. Without why? an optic. Okay, okay. Why? It's, it, it's because you, that it's an optics-free mm -hmm. viewfinder. There's no glass in there. There's no optic. It's just literally, it's a probably a piece of, I've had them apart because they tend to fall apart if the glue goes bad. It's just, it's like a piece of my, black mylar film with the stuff etched onto it so that. It, it's, got, it's got an optic at the front of it though. The, the eyepiece well, is an optic. Yeah, it, it, it does, but it's, it's not that it's, that's just to let the light come through essentially to let light come through. It's not, no, 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 it's the, not the like eye, no, the, corrected, eyepiece, really. the, the, the eyepiece is, is, is a magnifier. Oh yeah. Well, right. Because you have that ocular distance to see that clearly. It's like a, basically a built-in diopter so that you can read the stuff on the yeah. printed on there. Right. Yeah, Cause your eye can't focus that close. Right. And it's making your eye focus to like that half inch or what three centimeters or whatever space that it has to be able to focus on that, on that printed stuff on the mylar. But what, what, okay. Again, um, <laughs> yeah, what, okay. So let's put, put the question slightly differently. Um, a camera with a 50 millimeter lens, uh, range finder, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, let's say that will come like most cameras do um, with a, a viewing screen let's because we're not talking about slrs now um what's what's wrong with a viewing screen compared to a, a viewfinder proper viewfinder well, that makes you want to use one of these instead well it's i mean it's it's it any external finder is giving you a much bigger view than a little finder built into the camera right 
Um, so the idea is you're using both your both both eyes open to get a much wider, more natural view using say a rangefinder camera where maybe the built-in viewfinder is always going to be a bit of a compromise. You're not going to get that big expansive view ever, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you can use both if you can keep both your eyes open, you have like your essentially your most of your field of view. So it's like a giant if yeah. you think about it the way a rangefinder you see outside the frame, you know what's going on, you can anticipate things happening. Well, you've got you've got you know most of your visual field still. Okay, that, that that that's making sense to me now because yeah, um, back when I used to do a bit of, of wildlife shooting uh, with a autofocus camera and there would be birds in flight or something like that, um, yeah. I managed to train myself to be able to keep both eyes open so that I could see the birds flying into the frame to be able to get right. to the frame that much more quickly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> so if you you know if you're walking around in Amsterdam or whatever and you're just you know wandering around the streets and you 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 you're, you're not squinting through a viewfinder as you're framing things you're enjoying your own natural vision of all that beauty and you're just overlaying a framing device for when you want to take a photograph yeah. i i note it didn't seem to catch on <laughs> <laughs> well so you know you got to give voitlander voitlander of all the companies that were designing stuff back in the day, I mean, they, they were the ones that were always doing things a little bit different <laughs> and a little bit out there. And it's, I, you know, it goes with that Voigtlander aesthetic of, you know, the kind of outside the box, uh, you know, thinking we, you know, I think we, we, I mentioned Eric before I, he's, he's used one of these. I think he uses one of these on occasion. Um, so so they can be really cool. It's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's just a totally different way of thinking about how you use a viewfinder. Yeah. Well, when I when I get my my Yashica back, uh, I'll I'll give it a go. Do it, yeah, yeah. do it. So I can see. I can I can see that you know, a bit of street shooting, which I never do, uh, might well work with this thing. I probably won't. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's that sounds like the plan for that. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Okay, I I think we need to start uh, winding things down a little bit now, unless uh, there are any other things we want to get off our chest before we disappear. Perry? Nope. Nope, nope. Okay, well, in that case, let me just say thank you to those people that have uh, donated to us, and actually, more than usual. Um, I don't know if that's something to do with the porn references or not. Um, but, Maybe they had it. By the way... I don't. I don't want to be. I don't want to nitpick and be. You know, pedantic here. <laughs> I don't think goatsy qualifies as porn. No, it Just, really doesn't. Does it? No. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely shock value, isn't it? It's yeah. it it's it's yeah. It's more like anatomical. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. We've we've done enough of that. Um, yeah, it's we've... it's like going to the circus. It's it's yeah. like going to the circus more than yeah. anything else. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, let's. Uh, I'm going to run, <laughs> run through the uh, the people that have supported us this this week. Uh, and uh, how much should we get from Pornhub this week? <laughs> and uh, uh, first, chronologically, uh, is Pierre Ale Alex Falou is French. Um, oh, we got an email from this guy uh, months and months ago before lockdown. Right? It was like Pierre Alex Favillier. Yep. 
Yeah, oh, the name. I love it when you talk French, Perry. <laughs> <laughs> He's um I've I've chatted Talk me some more French Perry. <laughs> I've, I've I've chatted with him on uh, I think Instagram and um and he's got this really big thing for tiffing uh, filters or oh, which one is it now he he did an article i think on 35 mmc yeah i think it was 35 mmc for a uh, a tiffing filter that um it was like a sort of fog filter um but it it i think it just made basically turned any film into cine still um, that, I think that was, that was more or less what he did. It was it was it was really really good. Um, but let me uh, just say read out what he said if I can. Um, I've been meaning to support you for a while, but decided to save up and go for a lump sum contribution uh, in order not to get my name butchered by Johnny on a weekly basis. <laughs> no, no, it's me. I'm the one that butchers it. Um, uh, keep up the good work and long live the CLP. Thank you very very much, uh, Pierre. Um, uh, awesome, Cheyenne Morrison. Um, mentioned many times today. Um, hey guys, uh, here are three coffees uh, since Johnny finally admitted that my Sawyer's is a nice camera. Um, then Anon, uh, <laughs> Anon has, uh, has said, uh, Viva la Retina. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Awesome. Um, then uh, Christopher J May um, says, uh, "Let's let's call this a donation to the Kodak Bantam Special." Um, <laughs> Luke, Luke, looks looks like looks bant Sorry, I rewind uh, to the uh, Kodak bant Bantam Special. Looks like a pimp fan club. Uh, which yeah, is, uh, I, I guess I should have mentioned that. But yes, yes, thank you, Christopher, for bringing that up because I would have forgotten all about it had you not mentioned it. So tell tell, I, tell us more about this club. It, it, I'll, I will put I'll put a I'll put a link to it in in the show notes. It's really it's um it's a closed Facebook group, and nothing can be posted in this group. It is a poll. the The, the group just consists of a poll. And the the poll is hold on a second. I, uh, where's my groups? I'm gonna just. I don't even remember what I did. I just did it on a whim, like you know, my entire life. Um, where are groups? Here we go. I'll read the exact name, and I'll read the question that is at the heart of this group. So the the group is called Kodak Bantam Special. Looks like a pimp, and the question is where is the so the, the poll is, A, the Kodak Bantam Special looks like a pimp, or B, the Kodak Bantam Special is a masterpiece of streamlined art, art deco design that is the height of beauty. And you can choose one of those two choices. Or I suppose you could add other options as well, as you can in a poll. So that's the whole group, is Kodak Bantam Special looks like a pimp, yes or no. Yeah. And so, uh, the, there's the, a picture the, of a pimp with the camera. Yeah, so. they, they, currently, yes is uh, is is winning. Uh, but that's only because the only people voting so far are the three of us. So yeah, yeah. And as usual, uh, there's there's a disagreement. <laughs> <laughs> One of us is dissenting. We won't say who. Yeah. Actually, there's no dissent. It's the, I mean, aside from the obviously. Uh, biased both title right, of the really. group. Well, they're both right. And aside from the obviously biased title of the group, which I could fix by putting a question mark in that title, I suppose. Yeah, But you won't. But I won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Right, so uh, that's Christopher J. May, and actually, I've uh, also got to say, Thanks, uh, um, Chris was effectively going to be my uh, well, another shout out that I'm going to have because uh, Chris Christopher has relentlessly bullied me into um, designing and finalising and actually making uh, Contaflex uh, rear lens caps. Oh, right. So, uh, so that has happened. I've printed those caps off, then, and I think they're on sale now as well, actually. Um, so, uh, and that's just, just if anybody's getting excited about with, with your Contarex, no, no, yeah. these are Contaflex, not, not, yeah. not, 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 the, not the good one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the good one. No. Now, Simon, I have an important question for you. Can you get those in silver? Yes. Yes. Although, I'm going to go buy a Contaflex so I can get one of those caps. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, although, although, uh, uh, Christopher has chosen to go with the uh, the metallic graphite, which is my personal favourite at this moment. Nice, classy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, so thank you, Christopher. And then we've got Mike Epstein, a friend of the show, former um, guest on the show. Thank you very much, Mike. And then Robbie J. Um, and he uh, says, uh, apologies for my long absence from coffee donations, gentlemen. It took me a while to forgive Simon for maligning my contact, my beloved contacts G1. Uh, but rest assured, I have finally forgiven him. Um, keep up the good work, Robbie. Um, I still don't like the G1. <laughs> so uh, so there, there you go. You need the G2. And, um, and that's all there is to it. Um, okay. So uh, that is that. Um, right then, how can people keep up with the things that you do, Perry? Wait, 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 wait. Oh, there's more. Um, the before before we do the final wrap up, Simon, your your contour uh, viewfinder. Which eye did you hold it up to when you when your mind was blown? Um, my right eye. I did. Try I, the I, other I, eye. I, I did. I, well, I did. I did the other eye when uh, Johnny told me to do my left eye because I do as I'm told. And I, I preferred to do it with the right. Okay. Which which uh which eye is your dominant eye? Oh, well my right. Um the only ah oh, yeah, yeah, no, did I change it yeah. around? You see, I was getting a bit confused on this because I was I think myself, you know what? I probably should actually use it with the eye uh, use it with the eye that is not over the top of the lens. So uh if that makes sense. I I, th I think where Perry's going is the idea is you probably want to use it with your non dominant eye. Like your dominant eye would still be the field of view, although you know it. That doesn't really work if you're one of those people that's a a left eye rangefinder user, because then you're like your head is going to be in the way. You have to have it so your vision is straight on. Because I think you almost have to use it with your right eye. Is that where you're going, Perry? With that? No, no. My my. All I was going was for some people it works better with one eye than the other. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I just don't. I I I. I I don't know how true it, it is in this case only because if you're turning your head to fit the contour in front of your left eye, your right eye is going to be partially obscured by the viewfinder of, of the scene, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. But so it depends what camera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But so it could equally apply the other way, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah it could. So whichever one works, basically, I think that's the, right. I mean, yeah, dom dominant eye. Um, it, it, I can't remember now. It's the, a long, the, it was a long time the, ago. The, the no, point, wait, Simon, you know, you know the really quick test to find your dominant eye, right? Oh, I know which one it is. It's my right. Okay, okay. 
yeah. yeah. But, but it just didn't feel comfortable with using my left. Yeah, but the 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 point being, you have to have and your field of view has to be unobstructed. Mm. So it could possibly be obstructed by the viewfinder itself if you use your, you know, your left eye and then have to kind of look around the view. But I guess some it, it's it, the point is it has to, it's a both eyes open and not everybody shoots both eyes open to begin with. And it requires you to shoot both eyes open or else, you know, you wouldn't see anything. Yeah. So. Okay, glad, glad we cleared that one up. Cleared that all up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so uh, Perry, um, how can people keep up with the kind of things that you do? Uh, you can find me on Flickr and Instagram at Perry G. And Johnny. Uh, you can find me on my front porch if you want to come over and say hello and maybe buy some Polaroid three th- uh, Fuji 3000B from me, which I'm selling some of that. And I just thought, heading heading back to Perry, of course, we'll be able to hear you on negative positives this week as well, won't we? Awesome. Uh, Yeah, that's right. uh, I think we record in around 10 hours if everything goes smoothly. I had to uh, clarify with them what time zone everyone was in so that we didn't have a classic lenses podcast situation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Perry, I don't don't know about Simon. No, I do know about Simon because I remember. I did. I did the first time I did uh, negative positives. I did not do it completely sober, and the, and the second time I did it completely sober, and thusly I don't remember the first time I did it. So just you know, if you want to remember your experience, you might want to do it sober. Yeah, I mean it's, it's ten a.m. my time, so I, I don't think I will be. Uh... Oh, that means nothing. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, uh, so Johnny, apart from uh, so you've we've worked out you're on your front porch shouting at well shouting at clouds and things. Right. Um, what else do we talk about? We talk about how to get in touch with the show and things like that, don't we? Yeah, you um, you can uh, send an email to retina at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke. Just kidding. Uh, you can send an email to uh, classiclensespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can go to the podcast itself at classiclensespodcast.com where you can get all the show notes. And there's going to be some interesting ones this week. So you probably want to make sure you do that. Um, what else? You can, on Flickr, you can go to Best Vintage Lens. Flickr? Flickr? No, I meant, I meant Instagram, not Flickr. Yeah. Yep. Why did I say Flickr? Mm-mm. Never Flickr, anyway. Yep. Um, Best Vintage Lens on I was, Instagram. I was going to say Best Vintage Lens. <clears throat> there's been... They've been doing competitions and, uh, and and things like that using certain lenses over over the weekend and and, and so mm. on. And I think there's been uh, some really really good stuff coming out on that on that feed. So awesome. uh, if you've not been checking it out, do do check out uh, Best Vintage Lens on Instagram. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, and what if, what, if, what, if, what if we need the stiff drink? Um. Well, it, I, I guess you could drink Malort, but... Exactly. Yeah. That's the, that's the correct answer. I guess you could do that. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. Send a video. Yeah, do, do that. And do a shot. But, do, do, 
do the shot and make a video yeah because if you do make a video then you can be and there needs to be more than one person to do this then you can go <laughs> into, then you can then go into the competition to win a raynox 135 millimeter f 2.8 wet on wet bokeh lens that's, that's right re that's ready to go and i will send it anywhere in the world you know so uh, but we need at least two people um to uh, drink some malort live on the camera and post right. it to us because <clears throat> The Raynox renders like Malort tastes. So, you, you know, <laughs> you, you want to make sure you get in on this. Yeah. Um, also, 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 if you want to watch the captions while you listen to the podcast, you can go to YouTube and do that. Just look for Best Vintage Lens on YouTube. Uh, no, Classic Lenses Podcast. Oh, yeah, Classic Lenses. I don't know if Best Vintage Lens is on YouTube. I don't know why they would be. So, yeah, never mind. It's it's Classic Lenses podcast. And and sometimes it doesn't work. Um, and sometimes it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't get sent across sometimes. But yeah. not anybody looks at it anyway. So, um, there you go. Yeah, we just we just mention it because, you know. Yeah, it's a function. We press the button and it sometimes does it. And right. there, there you right. go. Right. What, what more do you want, really? Well, what more do you want? Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything else we've we've missed or anyone we haven't angered or I'm I'm sure that that's what next week that's what next week's for. That's what next week next that's yeah. what that's what next week's for. Okay. Uh, we do read all emails sent to us, by the way. Just just putting that out there. All emails from everyone yeah. who has anything they might want to say. Just just putting that out there. Okay, uh, and for me, I'm on Twitter as Simon4. I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic, which is also the name of my website. Um, oh, I've got a product launch about to Ooh. happen. I forgot all about it right at the end of the show where people have actually stopped listening now. Um, and that is, I've got an insert for the Pixelator. Um, yeah. So the Pixelator is this, this thing that Amish Gill made, and if you're a regular listener to the show, you would know all about it. Um, helps you digitize your, your negatives and slides uh, from between 35mm up to 4x5. Actually, you could, there are ways of uh, digitizing smaller formats as well, which you might even think about that. Um, but anyway, so wait, you, yeah. you, you've hacked... The pixelator. <laughs> I've hacked the pixelator. You've, yeah, you've hacked the pixelator. Yeah. You've just done what we were discussing. No, it's completely different. <laughs> because what I'm doing was is done with the blessing and encouragement of the manufacturer oh, of the pixelator. I got gotcha. you. Okay, yeah. so it wouldn't be a hack because you got permission. Yes. And blessing to do it. Yeah. So it's more like it's an accessory. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly that's exactly what it is. That is a be that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and um, what it is, it's uh, a slide-in thing um, that allows you to um, digitize mounted slides. Um, so uh, it, it's just the the main the way how it's configured. It, it does it's not really friendly for mounted slides. So this is a way that mounted slides can be done. And so, yeah, sorry, yeah. So if I go if I go to Simon Foster Photographic there'll be a picture that says, here's this slide in thing that goes with this other thing yeah. that makes you do. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 awesome. that's pretty much it. In fact, actually on my website, if you look on the header, it says pixelator and then you'll get, get this thing thing that I've done. Um, but more to the point, there's two, two things. One, you can buy this, um, but if you have a 3d printer, you can just download it for free 
on Thingiverse, and I'll put a link into the uh, into the show notes uh, because it's uh, it's part of what Hamish is doing uh, with the Open Gate program. I think that's what he's calling it, um, and where if people want to do hacks and uh, and things, um, then uh, and you want to give those things away, then you can do so. Um, obviously, you can make a couple of quid if somebody wants to pay you to actually make one but the idea is to um, come up with weird and wonderful ways that this pixelator can be used and make it accessible so if you have a 3d printer then you'll be able to download the design and just print it off yourself so is the does tesla have an open source project like that where you can just download their free stuff and make them things better what do you think i'm guessing the answer is no simon no no okay well All i right. do well actually I'm guessing that's the answer, so I don't know. But certainly, if they do, they haven't got one that gives you 50 extra horsepower. That's for certain. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so that's the uh, the newly launched and uh, shipping now Pixelator and my insert that goes into it. Um, but um, so yeah, so so that's that, that's it. I think um, our music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. It's called Octo Blues, and I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can. Be like Carl. <laughs>